0: What do you do on
1: Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett. The acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all.
0: Oh, oh I'm not acting.
1: <laughs> you think this is a love
0: affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle.
1: This is Sundays with Kate. And I'm your host, Mortada El Welcome to Sundays with Kate our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week we choose one of Kate Blanchett's film and we talk about it with a guest. Our film this week is 2006, The Good German directed by Steven Soderbergh and starring Kate, George Clooney and Toby McGuire. And my guest is Megan McGurk who hosts the Sass Mouse Dame podcast, which is a podcast about women's picture from the classic era. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for coming.
0: It's my pleasure, Mertana. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to participate.
1: I'm delighted to have you. I have been a listener to your podcast for a while and a fan of it. And I thought a movie that wants to be a movie from the 40s, who would be better to talk about it than you?
0: Oh, you're so kind. Well, you know, it's funny when you suggested this picture, I thought, the good german who the hell's in that i i had no context for it at all and when I looked, I saw that um, you know it was released the same year as Notes on a Scandal, which I I did see in the you know cinemas when it was released, and I thought, oh, that's why. So that got all the attention because that's a very flashy role in a in yeah. a way. But honestly, I didn't know Kate Blanchett was in it, and I, I didn't know who else was. And then when I saw who her co-stars were, I thought, oh, maybe that's why I blanked on it because I'm not a fan of Clooney or McGuire, <laughs> um, especially McGuire. Jesus. So, um, so I was shocked, but as I, you know, I didn't really look at uh, it up or anything when I sat down to watch it. And wow, from that opening, the logo, the Warner Brothers logo. And I I just I tears came to my eyes. That's still a black and white picture. And it's just so gorgeous to look at.
1: It is. uh, I believe this is maybe the best Kate has looked in a movie. And it is the movie is very, very gorgeous. So beautiful. But let's start with what The Good German is about. So The Good German IMDB says, While in post-war Berlin to cover the Potsdam Conference, an American military journalist is drawn into a murder investigation. So this is George Clooney. He plays this correspondent who goes to cover the conference. But, you know, while there, he really only wants to look for his love. Kind of like Casablanca. So Kate Blanchett plays this German woman. Lena Brandt, who he was involved with before the war, before he left Berlin in the late 30s, and now he's back in 1945 to look for her. And then his driver is played by Stoby Maguire. and what a coincidence that Toby knows Lena too. Well, is it a coincidence? <laughs> We're going to find that out. <laughs>
0: Knows her in the biblical sense.
1: (laughs) Yes, they both know her in the biblical sense. (laughs) And so there is a murder and then there is an investigation. But the movie is really about these deep secrets of what happened to this woman during the war. And it is something that she carries with deep shame. Where are you going? I have someone to meet. Who? Stop following me. What about the curfew?
0: Life is inconvenient sometimes like that. It's not safe. And always it seems not safe. Who? Someone who can get me out of Berlin. I'll go with you. No. Tell him tried to get you out of Berlin and you wound up
1: dead. Someone is waiting for me. Why is it so important for you to get out? Please. What are you running away from? And the structure of the film is it's sort of they hand the narrative baton from one character to the other. So the movie stars with Tobey Maguire. As this driver, spoiler, he dies 20 minutes in. It's a terrible performance, and thank God he goes. And then,
0: Not soon <laughs> enough.
1: <laughs> and then the baton is handed to George Clooney as he's trying to discover, find out who this good German is. And then finally, the movie reveals what it's all about, and it's about this woman and what happened to her during the war. Is she the good German? The good German could also refer to her husband, who worked for the SS. And that's why she was able to survive. But also, she betrayed a lot of people. And the movie is about sort of what, at least I think it's about what you carry with you that survival guilt that you carry with you in these dark times. So Berlin during the Second World War. What do you think the movie was about?
0: That's a great synopsis. I think survivor guilt is that's uh, right on the nail on the head there, Murtada. I, I would agree with that completely. And I like the way it. we don't get the answer until the very end. Mm-hmm. And I have to say when it comes, and I wouldn't spoil it for the world, when it comes, I had a violent reaction. I shouted at the screen, you know, at my television thinking, how How could they do this to her? Like she hasn't suffered enough and now she has to have this, you know, legacy of guilt. But then I thought, after you know, thinking about it for uh, you know, overnight, that that's the like. This isn't just some soppy. Let's make a 40s picture. It's it's realism, and it is not sentimentalizing anything that happened. Which mm-hmm. I think it probably would have been really distasteful if they just went for a romantic angle. I mean, the women who survived. Uh, Especially the type of woman that she is, her background, it would be very unlikely that you could have survived without having done some horrible things. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I like that maybe that they they went for the tougher ending, and they he that Soderbergh was true to this idea of realism rather than just giving us the glamour. And every time, well, I'm probably jumping ahead of myself here, but every time we see Kate and we get some glamour, he's really quick to undercut it in some way. Um, To remind us that this isn't, you know, a a really happy time for anybody, uh, to Mm. say the least.
1: No, I mean, she looks so great, like the black and white cinematography, the red lipstick, the dark hair. She's always introduced in shadows and then she comes from the shadow into the light. In fact, her first introduction is like that, where she appears about six minutes in and She is with Tobey Maguire, and they're having sort of an argument and he's talking to her, but we don't see her first. And then she walks into the light. It's she looks great. I think it's the best she's ever looked. But you're right, there is this tension between how great and glamorous she looks, and the reality of this woman's life. And that tension is what makes the performance interesting and what makes the movie interesting.
0: Yeah, because we can't pigeonhole her. And so when you're talking about that lovely introduction that we get from her, when she steps into the light, she's lovely. But we see her before that, but we don't know it's her yet. When she is the first time we see Kate on screen, she's um, belly down on the bed, receiving Toby McGuire, as Mm -hmm. it were. And then he's saying to her, do you like your job? So we know that they're really not romantically involved. It's a transaction. And when she, when the mask slips and she says to him, how do you like your job in the motor pool, um, then he becomes violent. And then she goes right back to her submissive mask of just do whatever appease the man no matter what. Um, So before we get that beautiful shot, we get her, you know, in that really um, submissive pose, taking a doggy style. So we don't get like an easy glamour here. We get it. And, you know, he taketh and he giveth at the same time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I loved that intro of her, the walking into the light. And it did remind me of a lot of introductions of 40 stars. I mean, it's not the same, but I was reminded of the beginning of the letter because that one is also dramatic. And Betty Davis, you hear the gunshots first, and then she walks in holding the gun. And mm-hmm. that's what I was reminded of.
0: <laughs> that is great. So, or, you know, many other heroines as well, or Mildred Pierce, or a bunch. Um, but I like that you're you're always kind of aware of all these other women and the '40s legacy on. On screen, mm-hmm. but it's not just this sort of parody or or run through or you know it, there's so much depth to it. So you couldn't just like I see the shadows of all these other women and mm-hmm. that's her history. And she imbo- she seems so much more aware of it than other actors do. Like say Kate Winslet when she played Mildred Pierce on screen and said, "Oh, I hadn't seen the, the film." Really? You haven't seen every best actress Oscar winning performance and that's your line of work? She's just like so willfully ignorant. And then so, you know, then you have to invite those comparisons. But Kate, like, is all she's always aware of all of that. But it doesn't overwhelm and she's not just mimicking.
1: Yeah. She's not. And I think, you know, so Steven Soderbergh, this was an experiment, right? So he said to make this film just like it, it, as if it was made in the 40s. So he used cameras and lenses from the time he shot it on sets in L.A. It This was not on location. So this was all built sets. And he asked the actors to sort of perform in a stage presentational way as if they were from that era before the method. And I think to the point you were just making, that fits Kate to a T. Like, I think it's the, she is the performance that pops. She is, her performance is the center of the film. And I think this film completely failed with both audiences and critics. But I think it would have been a completely unwatchable movie, if not for this performance, because I think she is, of all the actors, the one who totally understood what the, what the task was, what the job was that they were asked to do.
0: Oh, I agree completely. Like, if it were just uh, George Clooney and um, Tobey Maguire, I would have no use for this film, as, as lovely as it is to look at. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clooney surprised me because I... Maybe because he's getting his ass handed to him so often mm-hmm. that it's tolerable. That he's not trying to be Cary Grant here. That he's clearly out of his element. But then you wonder, how can that really be if he lived there before, if he was, you know, the head correspondent for news, you know, before the war. It wasn't like it was a walk in the park then. I mean, Berlin was a rough town then, any at any point in the thirties. I, I wouldn't have watched it. You know, the buildup we get, that anticipation of seeing her and seeing her each time Mm -hmm. and seeing how she changes with the light and with costumes um, is so remarkable. You're right. We only care about seeing her. And when she's not on screen, you want her back.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned George Clooney sort of being beat up. And this was also kind of what (laughs) endeared me to him in this movie, because he is not playing a leading man of the 40s. Like, you wouldn't see Humphrey Bogart being beaten up like this. And, like, almost every time he goes out to try to figure out this murder investigation, he gets beat up. And he spends half the movie with a plaster on his ear. So it's very funny to me that he did that. And that's what makes his performance interesting. But I wanted to ask you also about his chemistry with Kate. Did you feel it? Did you feel like, because this is, they met in Berlin in the 30s. He was a correspondent. According to the story, she was his stringer. Everybody keeps saying, oh, you're a secretary. And he's like, no, she's my stringer, which is a funny little joke. And they fell in love. She was married. So it was an illicit doomed love affair from the beginning. And for that to sort of pop on screen, the actors have to smolder. And I know that Kate can have chemistry with anyone, but I wanted to ask you, did you feel that doomed love affair in their scenes together? Did their chemistry together give you that charge?
0: Well, what I want to see, or the dynamic that I love to see most on screen, is when a man looks like he would cut off his own leg to be with a woman. That he's obsessed. That he wants to be worthy of her. That he wants to do whatever he can for her. And she could not give him, like, mo- you know, the time of day. Even let's say, instead of the profanity that I was. Gonna- yeah. use um that i that's what i prefer because you know at this point in her life I, first i do believe that they could have been lovers and that she could have loved him in the past because you can see this kind of easy you know way it would be to just settle on his arms mm-hmm. but she's so far beyond that now she can't go back in time and i would go off on the about probably the blue dress at some point in this episode because i love that scene so much But I do believe that it was there, but it's she it's over for her and not for any reason other than like her immediate personal gain or safety. Would she have anything to do with his character? I just don't see it. She has lived through too much, you know, where he's swanning around in an officer's uniform that he doesn't really even have the right to, you know
1: yeah I mean there there is this contrast between them, right? He is just he hasn't seen what she has seen and what she has seen during the time that he was away, to your point is just too grave for her to just go back to there. What's the scene of, with the blue dress? Tell us about that.
0: Oh, gosh, I love that scene so much because it's right out of a classic studio-era woman's picture. And it made me think so much of Dietrich in uh, Dishonored from 1931 where she mm. plays a spy. Yeah. And there's this funny scene in there, but it's also very taut and very sort of suspenseful where she's disguised as sort of like uh, a peasant girl with her big drindle skirts. And the way her bust is passed Padded so that even her breasts look kind of like heavy and pendulous, and she's no makeup on, and her hair scraped back in these severe braids, kind of like those that Jean Arthur wore in A Foreign Affair that Marlena makes fun mm-hmm. of. Yeah. But so she's in this incongruous outfit that's so different from everything else we've seen her in, you know, where she's wearing this gorgeous monkey fur coat that she's later assassinated in. And she's got this great, you know, Roman centurion outfit on. And so she's dressed like a scrub woman here. And it's so, it it just underscores everything, how much opposite her life is. And for Kate in this film, there's a very similar scene, but it's with the blue dress. And when he, they first meet and he's talking to her about, oh, that blue dress that you had and everything. So he walks in on her when he, he he's moved her and her roommate into the attic garret. Oh, and yeah. um, she pulls out the dress and she's she's got it on. And she's like, look at these sleeves. Look at this ruching. Nobody wears anything like this anymore. And she's saying, you know, how much style everything had back then. And it is so much different than anything else she's worn in this picture. She's all black satin beading, mm-hmm. you know, nightclub clothes, dark clothes, clothes that clothes that absorb color. And now she's in this blue satin dress that is very, it's V-neck and it's very prim. There's no cleavage. And it's got like this, you know, flared skirt. It's mm-hmm. wholesome and flirty. And she's so far removed from what flirty is. You know, I mean, she has to just sort of bear, you know, grin and bear kind of thing. So she's in this gorgeous dress that she had. It has no context, no place in her life. That's why we don't see her wearing it. So she's just trying to try it on and remember and remember herself then. The costume there was such a great turn of for a way to say a lot about her character. Characters past and how different she is now from, uh, you know, uh, then. So Louise Frogley did the costumes for yes. the Good German. Um, yeah. So that was really good.
1: Yeah, I love that scene too. And I think that's the same scene where she talks, where he asks her later on in the scene what happened to her. And she says, I survived right? Yes,
0: that's the scene. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I love that scene because that's the scene where Kate gets to play a range of emotions in that scene as she's, she doesn't really tell us or tell Clooney what happened to her in during the war. But when she just says, I survived and the camera is on her, you can see on her face kind of, we can imagine what has happened and we know that it wasn't pleasant. We know that it was actually horrible. And- I, I think that was my favorite moment of hers in the whole movie.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's her whole uh, character and her story summarized in one line. So, yeah, that, that's a great scene. Um, so and then, you know, she's not in it. Then she goes into, I think, the next time we see her, if not, you know, or the next time she's outside in the day, she's got this sort of military looking jacket on with the, the crossbody satchel and, you know, where she's taken the bike into the German or the Russian sector uh, there with that, that, portrait of Stalin behind her. So, yeah, it's such a dramatic change. It's you know, nothing else in her life is, is the same. So I love that chameleon like quality that she always exhibits is she becomes whatever, um, you know, the way she inhabits her body and mm-hmm. her clothes and her mannerisms all make, you know, fit the scene, whatever it needs. Um
1: Yeah, she's great. And I think she also, to me, she leaned into exaggerated gestures and fluid theatrical body movements. I mean, I've talked in this podcast before about how Kate is a full-body performance, but also in this movie, it's she gets the 40s tone and she is doing it in a way that every time the camera is on her, she is bigger than life. She is playing this woman whose reality is grim and the performance is realistic and you can see the pain and the anguish and all of that. But also, I think at no moment does she disguise the fact that there is an artifice to the performance, that yes, the story of this woman is real, but also she's an actress playing it in a movie set. And that sort of tension between both things—it's just made me. This is—it's one of you know. I I love Kate. I love most of her performances, but this <laughs> is one of like it's really up high there for me because these things that I love about her as an actor, which is this tension between artifice and realism, are just exaggerated to the maximum in *The Good German*.
0: Oh, okay. So for for things like, um, you know, small movements when she's smoking, she's not just smoking a cigarette. She doesn't smoke like, say, her roommate does. Mm-hmm. She smokes in a very deliberate and, as you say, a very stylized way where she holds her cigarette. Her cigarette sticks sort of – it's perpendicular. It sticks straight up which was something that Betty Davis did quite a bit, say, like a Now Voyager or something. Yes. Or even Joan Crawford in uh, A Woman's Face when she's holding the cigarette, when she's, like, trying to work out how she feels about the doctor and everything, uh, played by Melvin Douglas. Mm-hmm. So it is even something as how she smokes is very of that era. And it becomes a bit more dramatic because most people don't smoke like that today, you know?
1: No, they, they do not. <laughs> Only in the old movies. <laughs> um,
0: so, but, you know, that that has a lot of dramatic importance, I think.
1: It does. And because this movie is, there is an obvious homage to Casablanca. Like, even if you look at the poster for the film, it was a directory creation very close to the, to the 1940s poster of Casablanca. And the story is sort of similar to Casablanca, the two lovers who met before the war and now who meet later on and there are obstacles, although it's much more serious in this movie. And then the movie ends in an airport, similar to Casablanca. So any writing about this movie that I found, it always mentions Casablanca.
0: It's funny, even the way the shipping crates are sort of stacked up on the tarmac, it looks like Casablanca, like everything.
1: Yeah, so it's definitely an obvious homage to Casablanca, which brings us to sort of like that's why most writers who heard about this movie at the time compared this performance to Ingrid Bergman's in Casablanca, but I actually didn't see Bergman at all. Uh I think Kate is a lot more stylized than than Bergman was in Casablanca. And some mentioned Marlena Dietrich, especially in Billy Wilder's A Foreign Affair, and because that movie is also set in Berlin. Did you see any homages to Bergman or Dietrich?
0: Well, definitely, uh, especially with the costume to Dietrich, and, you know, that the kind of way that her cheekbones are lit Mm -hmm. looks like something Lee Garms would do for her. You know what I mean? That... That bold contrast of her cheeks and her face in the shadow. The only, uh, I, I didn't really see Casablanca except for the ending. And then, as you say, the poster. Mm-hmm. But what I did see of Bergman is from a different film, which would have been from 1948 um, The Ark of Triumph um, with uh, Charles Boyer, who's my you know, favorite leading man. And there she plays a sex worker. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a grim, grim movie. I mean, it opens up with an, abo- a woman dying from an abortion and, you know, um, she's stashed away in a garret and it's all very depressing. It was a big flop and it made no money, but mm-hmm. I, I'm drawn to it because Bergman's so dark and she's so um, sort of undone in a sense. Um, and, and, Maybe she's got a little bit more of that despair, you know, that she shares with Lena, uh, Kate Blanchett's Lena. But I don't, I don't really see Casablanca here because, you know, the whole um, dynamic between Bogart and Bergman is that that yearning for what they can have again. They both want it, mm-hmm. but I don't see it because Kate doesn't want George Clooney back. She she wants what he, if he can get her out of the country, but that's about it.
1: She just wants to survive. Like she, she said, I have survived. And now all that's on her mind is just to survive and survival here at this point in her life means to leave Berlin and leave it alone. Because I think she carries enough that she can't even carry the love of another person on top of what she's carrying.
0: Yeah. Hasn't she given everything, you know, that when she tells him that great speech about isn't a, a woman supposed to, you know, help her husband? Isn't mm-hmm. that noble? Isn't that good? you know, like, what more do I have to give you, (laughs) you men? (laughs) I've given you everything, you know, Uh, you've taken my my innocence, my youth, my happiness, and I'm just burdened with guilt now. So what else can I give you? Like, just let me go. Let me walk off and be by myself.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's she's, Lena is a very tragic person and very sad. There is like this sadness that you see whenever Kate is on screen. It's just right there in the eyes. You can't Help but not see it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and even her flat um, looks like, kind of like the one that Ingrid Bergman had in Arc of Triumph. But, um, you know, definitely not Casablanca. But lots, again, I see, you know, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. I see other women of that era who, you know, were just straight up melodrama is Mm -hmm. really what this is, um, just black and white.
1: I mean, there is a quote from Kate that she told Reuters around the time when the movie came out. And I love this. um, I love what she said. So I'm going to quote it. I -hmm. had to use my own resources and invent my own version, because what was the point of imitating Marlena Dietrich? She does it perfectly herself. (laughs) I love that Mm -hmm. because she is paying homage. But at the same time, it is an invention that is just hers. That's the character. That's her performance.
0: Right. And and that's the way to do it rather than say, I haven't seen it or I don't know it or, you know, this is just me to say I'm aware, you know, I mean, who's going to say that Marlena can't play herself better? I mean, that's the way to take it, I think. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, she won the Oscar for playing Kate Hepburn, right? Yes. And. But I think that this is a better homage to Marlena or to all of the women of classic Hollywood than that film was. Because, you know, there she's just this frustrated foil for, um, you know, Howard Hughes pretty much. And she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time either.
1: It is a very long movie. She gets just, just a third of it or even less. Yes.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, even in this film, I, I would have much rather had more Kate than a lot of the, you know, shenanigans between the men.
1: Yes. I mean, it's it starts with Tobey Maguire. And it's just like, I I feel that's probably why nobody wanted to see this movie, because the first half hour is just (laughs) mostly him. And it's, it's really a terrible performance. I don't know what movie he thought he was in or what he thought he was doing. He's like a child. He doesn't fit the tone of the movie or somebody from the 40s. And then you, you get Clooney, and then finally you get Kate. And I think if Soderbeck had, had found the way to center Kate from the beginning, the movie reveals itself at the end as Lena's story. And you that's the story we find ourselves with and how it ends. But he should have brought that earlier on. And I think the movie would have been more successful if he had done that.
0: Right. I mean, definitely, Toby's role is to show us how far she's fallen. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is your protector, or this is what she's reduced to, to taking a doggy style from to- Toby McGuire. I mean, you know, it's, it's a bad fate, pretty much. It's not like he's charming, or he's smart, or... Uh, by the looks of things, the little, um, you know, flash we got of him uh, in the sack, it, it wasn't really, you know, passionate or good, right? It, no. it was wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of moment. This is your fine, brave American. And at the same time, we see that he's one of those operators who would never make it anywhere except for the circumstances that he's there to profiteer. Like this is a picnic and it's going to, you know, I, I never want to leave here, you know. Um, he'll side with the Russians. He doesn't care. He wants to stay and, and, you know, play the big man. Repulsive.
1: He is very repulsive.
0: I have nothing to be ashamed of. I didn't say you did. The war. It's convenient. And all blame everything on the war. Isn't that why you left? The war? I found that blue dress I bought you. All the old things. All the old times. This is my life now. Tully at least understood that. What was Tully doing in Potsdam last night? I don't know. You weren't with him? Potsdam is in the Russian zone. I don't go to the Russian zone. Lena, if I can find you, so can they. As if I'm the only one who needed help. Look at you. What is it you're not telling me? It couldn't be that I loved him. You don't need to be afraid of him anymore. You don't need to protect him anymore. I think if you hadn't left, Jacob, nothing would be any different. Nothing. If you want to stay at five hundred marks, make up your mind.
1: I'm going to sleep. Another scene I wanted to talk to you about is a scene later in the film when Lena is trying to leave Berlin and there's this Scottish barman who helps her and he helps her by basically securing her a date with a John and the John turns out to be George Clooney and they meet and he's like, I'll pay you the money. And they have this long conversation where we finally, this is very late in the film, where we finally see how they loved each other way back in the 30s. Because they don't say much, but it's just the way they're interacting with each other. And actually, I think it's Clooney's best moment in the film. The way he looks at her in that scene, you can see why he was doing everything he was doing from the beginning of the movie, why he was back in Berlin. And she has Mm -hmm. that lovely line where... Where she tells us and tells him, she says, you can never really get out of Berlin, which is she knows that even if she does get out of Berlin, which is what she's trying to do, it's a state of mind that she will always carry with her. And and I think that scene, I already said that Kate's best moment is the I have survived scene, but I think that is Clooney's best scene and she is also matches him beautifully in that scene.
0: Oh, I think that's a great example. I would definitely agree with that, that, you know, that she's trapped. It's there in her. It's 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 penetrated her skin. She's not going to get away from it. Doesn't matter where she is. She carries around this burden. And yeah, he plays it really well, really earnestly. I mean, I, I believe it, you know. So he does sell it there. When she says that really fatalistic line, I think if you hadn't left, Jacob, nothing would be any different. Nothing he wasn't going to save her that the forces were just too big and you know she's in this big pile of dead bodies basically
1: yeah yeah it's it's such a tragic uh, performance and role and you mentioned that when this movie came on and you saw like the classic Warner Brothers logo, you got teary because you love the movies from the 40s. What is your opinion of the experiment of trying to make a movie in 2005 as if it was made in 1945? Do you think this was successful?
0: I do. I do. I I think it was it was much. It was so much more than just a paint by numbers. I mean, this was a labor of love, and it looks so good. So Soderbergh did the um, cinematography as well, Mm -hmm. and it's so careful and it's so um, historically accurate and striking. That why can't we have more? Now I know that I, I saw a brief interview with Kate that said that you know it's so expensive to process black and white film and Mm -hmm. there's really there she said there was only one place where they could send it to have it done so it took a long time and studios don't want to back them but i you know i i'm not the only one but i prefer a black and white production especially for this kind of material why do i want to see that in color It looks so much better in black and white. I mean, the scenes where they're, you know, driving around or she's cycling, Kate's cycling around the rubble. I mean, oh, my gosh, that is, to me, much more powerful than if it had been in color. Just the devastation, the bare graphic terms in the black and white photography is just beautiful. So I would love to see, I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw that miniseries, it was uh, The Last Tycoon, that was about um, Fitzgerald's novel. It was done in color, and I thought, oh gosh, you know, you got cold feet here. It should have been in black and white. If you're giving me something from that era, I want to see it in black and white. And even if it isn't, I mean, there are other, you know, not as many, but there should be more filmed on that way, because it just lends, it's just so striking to me when I saw that black and white I didn't know it was in black and white until I put it on I was like oh my god I love it already (laughs) and I know I know that most people hated this picture and I just don't get it you know oh it's a rip off of Casablanca no it isn't did you watch it (laughs) um so I don't get it
1: yeah I mean it was notoriously a big huge failure like I don't think anybody who was involved with it thought it was going to fail at this scale like Soderbergh or Clooney or even Kate herself and it just nobody went to see it and I think it's because to what you were just saying people just thought it was why would I want to see Casablanca done again when I could just go and watch the real Casablanca but it is not not Casablanca and it is there's a lot more to this movie than that
0: I think so now do you think it would have been better or more successful had it been done in color
1: I I don't think it would have been more successful if it's done in color. I think... I don't know what turned people off about it. I think maybe the experiment itself, the fact that they were selling it, oh, we're making this movie as if we made it in 1945, but we're the only difference is we're going to be freer, so there's more sex and profanity. That's the only difference. I don't know if that's what turned people off, or maybe the tone of it. I think the tone of it is very deliberate, and it's very stylized, and maybe people were just not into that in 2005. Although when you... You know, some stylized movies do work and become successful, but I don't know why this movie was just so ignored and just dismissed, not even ignored, just completely dismissed by everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't even, when you said the name, I, I I thought, who's in that? I don't, I had no frame of reference at all for it. Um, but I maybe because the ending is really just, you know, kind of a, a downer, to yeah. put it mildly, uh, maybe that's why, because I think people are set up if they think, oh, it's this, it's this love story or something and there's going to be a happy ending and the fade out, they're going to walk off together. And that's not what he's interested in. And, no. you know, frankly, we have those pictures already. We don't need another one of them. You know what I mean? So even though I was violently opposed to the ending at first, <laughs> once I sat with it for a while, I see why they went that way. And I think it really it makes a better picture. Because it's not just giving us this fairy tale. It's a nightmare,
1: what Kate lived through in this picture. Tell me why you were violently opposed to the ending. I think we can spoil a little bit because this movie is years old. Right.
0: Well, I don't, want to, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but in, in a sense, it seems like she is made to be uh, culpable or horrible or that she's the villain at the end because she did this horrible thing. But, I mean, look at all the men that she's surrounded by who did horrible things and murdered people and you know the Dora project with the banality of evil where they have all these columns and tables and charts to figure out how to kill people more effectively i mean the men in this picture and in history were savages and i just i i I feel like why are we blaming this poor jewish woman at the end You know, why does she have this irredeemable flaw at the end or this burden that, you know, makes George Clooney, you know, like he's a a kid waking up to realize that not only is there no Santa Claus, but he's also a puppy killer or something. And that's probably not a good way to talk about this. But I mean, if you survived, you did horrible shit that I mean, that's and the men did it, too. I wanted her to be able to have that sense of, you know, not necessarily having a heroic ending, but being able to have her past be her past and not to be judged by this guy who can walk out anytime he wants. You know what I mean? Yes.
1: Yes. And, you know, in reading reviews and doing my research for this episode, I think you might have nailed why this movie didn't succeed because of that ending. Because if you read the New York Times review by Manola Dargis, she had a big problem with the ending. Same to what you were saying is that why shift the burden to the character of Lena? And she was very ungenerous in the film and even to Kate, I think just because she hated the ending so much. I mean, her, her review of the performance is like she says about Kate a vamping Kate Blanchett recalls Rainer Fassbender's post-war heroine Veronica Voss by way of Carol Burnett which is very cruel and not true <laughs>
0: Oh, Jesus. It sounds like Pauline Cow. <laughs> I, you know, I don't see that at all. But I, I'm just, I was angry that why do they have to make her be so much worse than, say, your run-of-the-mill Toby Maguire mm-hmm. or any of the generals who are, you know, using human beings as pawn? You know, all these men are built up as, we're your saviors. And we've come here to hand you back democracy. And they're all animals, So I can't say to me that Lena is any worse for what she did. I mean, yeah, what she did is is awful. It's horrible. But they all did horrible shit.
1: Yeah, I mean, they do shift the blame to lay it directly at her. And that's why the ending feels so grave. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's it. Grave. That's a good word for it. So this is all another film that's all about men, really. And then we have Kate. And it kills me that she didn't get top billing here because she should have, not George Clooney. But then I see her roommate, the fan dancer, Lore. And I'm thinking, who is this woman? I know this woman. (laughs) And it's Robin Weiger, who's better known as Calamity Jane from Deadwood. And I was like, holy cannoli. Here's Calamity Jane playing, you know, she's got a Betty Grable sort of blonde, platinum blonde hairdo. And she's the fan dancer in the dive bar. She's Tearing off all these saucy lines about George Clooney, like 500 marks just to talk. That's what I call a real pervert.
1: She's, and she's great. great.
0: She's like, she's shoving ham sandwiches in her face. And Kate's very generous because she doesn't try and compete. She just lets her have it. Yeah. And every great. scene she's in, she's just because she's the, the, the sunny opposite, even though she has this very dour per- persona, mm-hmm. but her looks, her complexion, her hair, the whole bit, she's like the opposite of Kate. And so it works really well because you really needed another woman in this picture. It's not like there was a large, um, you know, know, population of women left after the war, but still there were some. Um, So I just loved her in it. And every time I see her, I'm like, who is this woman? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to look it up. It's like I never recognize her. She always sounds differently. She always looks differently. So that was really good.
1: And some of our listeners might know her as Nicole Kidman's psychiatrist in Big Little Lies. Oh, right.
0: Exactly. I watched that as well. And I was like, who is this woman?
1: (laughs) She's so great. She's always great. Yeah, she's really good. The Good German came out in 2006, which was a great big year for Kate. So she had three movies coming out within weeks of each other. So There was this, there was Babel with Brad Pitt, and then there was Notes in a Scandal with Judi Dench. And they all came out within weeks of each other late in the year. And when I was doing my research, I found this interview with NPR where she apologizes and she says it in a very nice way. She says that she apologizes for, quote, being so present at the moment.
0: But I apologize in advance to audiences all around the world <laughs> for how, how present I am at the moment.
1: And I wanted to ask you, Megan, of these three films, which one do you prefer?
0: Oh my gosh, definitely The Good German. Yeah, I, I know that Notes on a Scandal is like a really lush, you know, um, part for her. And it's got a lot of press and it's shocking. And, you know, the whole tension between her and Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of was like, really? Uh, you're throwing away everything for this boy? <laughs> I don't know. I just I just don't get what the appeal is. And, OK, I saw Babel when it came out and I don't remember one single thing about it. Not one.
1: Yeah, I remember that she has a small part and she gets wounded and she has to basically play her whole part while she's gravely wounded or even mortally wounded. I don't remember if she dies or not, but
0: she's is she lying in the back of of a bus or something with a stomach wound or something? Yeah. Yeah. See, you know, I tend to avoid Brad Pitt movies as well. And I know that's a very (laughs) unpopular opinion because people love him so much. But nothing going on there for me.
1: I love The Good German, and I think Kate has never looked better in a- in any of her roles as she has looked in The Good German, just physically the most gorgeous she has. And I also think the performance is pretty fantastic. But I still love the battle of wills between her and Judy Dench. And I love it when you see sort of two actors of that strengths and just go at each other and, and that movie is kind of like a camp classic for me although I know it's a little problematic with its um, gender politics but it's just a fun movie that I enjoy watching and quoting to my mm-hmm. friends all the time.
0: Oh really? I'll have to I'll have to have another look. But you know, I love I love to see films where women are behaving badly when mm-hmm. it is like a fully drawn character, and they're not just these sort of you know cardboard cutouts where she's she's bad because she's a woman. But here, you know, I want to see a woman with an appetite and who breaks the rules and goes after what she wants, even if she knows she's going to be punished for it. I mean, that's great. I want to see more of that. Yeah. And I know that you know she's clearly you know very desirable. Iris of the young man <laughs> who catches her <laughs> eye kind of thing. But my favorite Kate would be Carol, um, oh, which yes. probably isn't a surprise to you, right?
1: Because Tell me why it is her in Carol.
0: I love it in Carol because it's everything I want to see more of. It's a proper woman's picture where the men are just sort of unforgettable backdrops who are there to either be an impediment to be monsters or to get out of the way, basically. But all of the emotional and uh, dramatic moments belong between women. And, you know, in Carol, it's a beautiful romance that we hardly ever see on you know on the screen between women and then when you add like the age difference and the class difference there's just so many things to think about and unravel and the depths there of performances and the heartbreak when they're separated for that time and you don't really know what's going to happen plus the costumes are amazing so yeah that is my ideal kate right there but That's what I like because she can play, um, you know, I guess what people would call a period role set in the 50s. But Mm -hmm. to me, that's just, you know, the world I inhabit. (laughs) Um, She can play that, but it's not like she is doing a costume picture. Mm -hmm. It's like you would think that's that's a film from that era. You know, that's how much integrity the roles have. It's not like she's like, oh, I'm in this, you know, poodle skirt kind of thing. And aren't I, you know, winky about it or something.
1: (laughs) She is so great in Carol. Do you remember the first time you saw a movie of Kate or saw her in a cinema?
0: I do. And that would be The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm,
1: Another Patricia Highsmith's part
0: so from 1999 right so that's the first time i noticed her and then probably the second film i saw was the gift which is an overcooked you know mess in a way but she's mm-hmm. really good in it
1: <laughs> she's great in the gift she is like she gives the movie gravitas that it frankly doesn't deserve
0: <laughs> yeah i mean giovanni Ribisi. oh my gosh <laughs> ham sandwich
1: oh he's so terrible um, in that one yeah
0: the, the overacting, the scenery chewing, and that's uh, one of the best things I think about Kate is that she doesn't feel the need to ever launch into that scenery chewing stuff. Especially here in the Good German, where she could have like gone really over the top, as mm-hmm. I think many actors would have played it. Is that she has that that trick is like feeling it and thinking it and letting the camera pick it up yeah. instead of screaming or you know dramatic tears or something like that. She just lets us see her face. And that's really all we need.
1: So I usually ask my guests about a film where they think Kate was underrated. And actually, my own answer to that question has always been The Good German, because I think not enough people have seen it or appreciated it. And I think she's great in it. So what would be your answer? Is there a movie that you like her in that you think maybe other people don't like or appreciate?
0: Well, I would probably go as a good German as well, because uh, like I said, I hadn't heard of it. And so why aren't people watching this film and talking about it? And then, I mean, it wouldn't be the first film that bombed when it was released and then became, you know, a big favorite.
1: Because release is just like a few weeks in the cinemas and then the movie lives on its own. It takes a life of its own later on.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, so I would I would go with a good German as well because I, I think it's a shame that this was clearly a labor of love and then people just didn't respond to it and um, I was like, wow, this this pretty intense viewing.
1: It is. It's a very intense movie. Yeah. Who is your favorite Kate scene partner?
0: I would say I prefer seeing Kate with women.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know that intensity of connection, whether it's an antagonist like Judy Dench. Or a lover, like in Rooney Mara, in, um, you know, Carol or something. And in general, I like to see women talking with each other on screen because I don't get enough of it, especially in, uh, you know, contemporary cinema. It's, you know, and I don't like to say the Bechdel test because I don't care if they're talking about men or not. I mean, you know, we need that. But I like to see women talking to each other on screen. And, you know, you know how it is. I mean, how many pictures does she make where she's up against a romantic leading man or a leading man in general who's Mm. not half as interesting as she is. You know, I want to see her talk to women. So, yeah, women in general.
1: So... Kate and Rooney are actually going to be in Nightmare Alley. And you mentioned it. you're I excited know. about that.
0: I couldn't believe it when I saw the photographs online. You know, I'd heard the rumor, oh, he's remaking it. And then I saw a picture and it was Kate with Rooney Mara, who plays Colleen Gray, Gray's character. And then she would play the psychiatrist that was played by, was it Helen Walker? Helen Walker, um, yes.
1: That's the Kate yes. role.
0: That is, that's the big big juicy role in that picture. And then my other favorite modern actress, Toni Collette will play Xena, who is played by Joan Blondell, mm-hmm. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I, I'm not against remakes. I'm not at all because Hollywood's always remade pictures from the silent era on. I just want them to be done with care. And I think this one is really going to be done with care and it's going to try to do something interesting. Now I, I could, I could do without the leading man because I, I don't care for him at all. <laughs> Bradley Cooper. I mean, Bradley Cooper is not fit to spit on Tyrone Power's shoes at, for Shine. But I'm going to go see it, even if he's horrible, because I know the women are going to be good. I just know it.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for it, too. And why do you think Lilith Ritter, I think that's the name of Kate's character, is so well suited to Kate that you're excited about it?
0: Oh, because that intensity. If I were to say one thing that I didn't like about the Good German, it would be the contact lenses that she has on those really dark mm. lenses, because it. I think her performance would have been so much better if we could have seen her eyes, so I think that detracted uh, a bit, through no you know no um, fault on her own, but I could have done without the contact lenses. So the way that. Kate, that she has that ability with the great stars of woman's pictures is to act with her eyes. And I know that we're going to see everything when I can see her, Kate, I can see her sitting in the nightclub watching Bradley Cooper doing his act as <laughs> the con artist. And I could I can see her face that says she's figured out what he's doing and how yeah. he's pulling this scam. I can see her eyes were, will narrow a little bit. Her pupils will dilate and then, you know, it'll click. So I I, can, I I know it's going to be good. I haven't even see, seen it yet, and I know it's going to be good. And I, I hardly ever say
1: that. <laughs> I'm excited, too. I can't wait to see her um, in Nightmare Alley. Well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming on Sundays with Kate. Um, it was my would, pleasure. Mine, too. And before we go, tell our listeners where they can find your work and your podcast and where you are on social media.
0: Oh, thank you. Yes, I always forget that stuff. I'm very bad with promotion. So it's sassmouthdames.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Megan McGurk and Sassmouth Dames on Twitter. Yeah, I do a film club here in Dublin. I, I have 64 podcast episodes all about women in, in classic Hollywood from the 1930s through 1950s. Thank Did you so much for having me, Mortada. I loved our discussion today. Thank you.
1: Yes, and your podcast is a treasure trove. So if you like movies from the classic Hollywood era, you have to go listen. Whoever you like, Irene Dunn, Barbara Stanwyck, <laughs> Uh, Joan
0: Crawford <laughs> Joan Crawford
1: there there yes I <laughs> love Joan and I think this is how we connected on Twitter because of your love for Joan
0: we are good people the people who love Joan <laughs> and Absolutely. Kate and Kate yes <laughs>
1: and you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with and until next time thank you for listening